Good afternoon. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Galatians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. If you please rise with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, the entrance of your word brings light. So we ask that you would illumine our dark hearts and dark minds through the ministry of your word in this hour. For the glory of your son and the good of his blood brought, blood bought people, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna start a new sermon series. It's on Galatians and I'm very excited. I hope you are too. We did the whole uh, stage set a little bit differently. I had asked to move the drum set to the side, and then now our artists, or artists mainly, has this whole canvas to work with. I think it's very nice, Um, very above average. No, I'm just kidding, It's, it's actually very, very nice. Can we just give a little appreciation and a hand? I, I talked to uh, Hesu, who does the stage design for the most part, all the time, and I had always thought that I was, I didn't tell her I was going to be talking about her, so sorry. Um, I had always thought I was this really nice and lenient person, easy to work with, and apparently that wasn't the case. Of all the pastors she's worked with, she said I was always the most particular, and, um, and I was thinking about that. And I think, it, I, I think in my own head, I'm just like, I'm this really lenient person who lets artists roam freely. Uh, I, I used to be an editor uh, for a publication in New York City in my late 20s, and all of that stuff is still in my head. Oh, here's an error here, there's a misprint here, there's a little curve that's wrong. That, that's what you have to look for. The designers are just really big, broad picture people, and they just give you a nice picture, and editor goes and edits the little things. And in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm not going to talk about 50%. I'll just give her the other 50. But that was, uh, that was too much. Um, so it's, it's actually like a work in progress, even in the relationship between the pastor and the design team and even the media team. And I think it's a really exciting venture. We've gotten to a point and we see the fruit of this interaction happening. And I really, really like this uh, design. 
Um, and I do appreciate Hesu and all the stage crew members and even all the media people who are part of this as we start this new sermon series together. Galatians is exciting because this year is our 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. 500th year anniversary of the Reformation, meaning our Protestant faith. This is when the Roman Catholic Church had all the people, all the Christians under one umbrella and they were doing these things which people started to question saying, this is not right, this is not right. What are we going to do about it? And they couldn't get anything heard. Finally, one man stood up and he took 95 theses and he wanted to debate. And the way you debate back in the day is you take it and then you hammer it on a wall and the Wittenberg church, so that's what he did. And that was a way that he said, I want to debate these things because no one is listening to what's going on. All these practices and rituals are happening, but I don't think it's right. A lot of people don't think it's right. We don't think it's biblical. Martin Luther was essentially and eventually excommunicated. A lot of his friends and his uh, companions were even murdered, um, killed throughout this whole process. But what has survived over the last 500 years is this idea that we need to continually come back to the Bible and reform ourselves and reform our minds and our hearts. But this is where we get that from. We don't get it from ritual. We don't get it from tradition. We don't get it from anything else other than the word of God. And Galatians, and I'm titling this sermon series, Galatians, the gospel par excellence, which is the best news we could ever receive. That's what it really means. And this is a life-changing news for all of us who hear it. And this is what Galatians is about. And this is what we want to also get ready to receive. We got the first nine verses here in the reading today. And in the very beginning, Paul asserts himself as an apostle. Who's an apostle? Before anything else, he goes, Paul, an apostle. So he's asserting himself as an apostle, but who is an apostle? What is an apostle? An apostle is someone with divine authority. An apostle is someone with divine authority. And what we believe is we believe that the apostle that he is referring to is separate from just the apostle of being like a disciple of Christ, an apostle of Christ. When he, called, when he says he's an apostle, he, um, <clears throat> he validates that by saying, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So what he is saying is that he is a capital A apostle. Capital A apostle. And we believe there are only 12 capital A apostles, people who spent time with Jesus and got the gospel disseminated to them directly from Jesus' mouth. But that is what Paul is asserting, that he didn't get the gospel from anybody else. No one told him about it, but he got it directly from Jesus Christ. By, that's what it means to be called the capital A apostle. And by directly relating himself to Jesus Christ, he is saying that this is, is, this is what Jesus Christ gave him, and this 
has authority. Uh, and people, people might and have asked me, well, pastor, aren't you an apostle? And the answer is, yes, I'm an apostle, but not in the way Paul or Peter was. An apostle literally means to be sent. So a pastor is sent to the church to serve the church. So I, as a pastor, have been sent to CGS to serve and lead CGS. And that's what it means to be an apostle. That's why I'm differentiating between capital A and lowercase a. I am a pastor, meaning I was sent to serve the church. That's what an apostle is. Essentially, all of you are apostles too because you are going to be sent out into the world to proclaim the gospel, but we are saying that capital A apostle is reserved for the 12 disciples, and Paul is saying that's also him. There is a dangerous movement that's currently going on right now in the United States of America. And there is this famous prayer movement in Kansas City that is exclaiming that there are new capital A apostles coming. This is crazy. Why is it crazy? Because the capital A apostles were given direct revelation from Jesus Christ on what the gospel is and they were given authority to write scripture. Why would we ever need capital A apostles again? Why do we need new apostles again? Is it because the current gospel isn't sufficient? Do we need a new revelation other than the one that was given to us by Jesus Christ through the disciples? And the answer is no. The Bible is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient for us. And that is why there is no more, there will be no more capital A apostles. But Paul is a capital A apostle. And something similar was kind of happening in Galatia as well. At the time when Paul was writing this, people were claiming authority and preaching to them a different gospel. That's why Paul is astonished. It isn't the usual, hey, I'm so happy to be writing to you. How's it going? It's more like, what the heck is going on there? That's how he opens. And if we were to be even more blunt, he is talking about hell. If you don't have the right gospel, what you have is hell. So he's saying, what the hell is going on there? He's astonished. He's angry. And that's how he opens up the letter to the Galatians. The people of God seem to be accepting something other than the true gospel. And he says this twice in which our deacon Ho Young read. He says it twice. He says, let them be accursed. Let them be damned. Let them be separated. If they preach another gospel than the gospel you initially received. Why is this so extreme? It's because if we don't get the gospel right, then we perish. That's why it's so important. If we don't get the gospel right, we perish. That's why there is an unparalleled seriousness about the worship order we set up here on Sunday. That's why Sunday worship is so important to us that we ask 
nobody should ever miss Sunday service. No one should ever miss this service because this is where the people of God gather to give glory and worship and life. We receive joy and grace that is peace that is ours in verse 3 and we hear the gospel proclaimed. There is this other group or other groups Many people think it's James or a group affiliated with James. And Paul is calling down a curse on that. But you have to think about it. Whose curse? Is it Paul's curse? Is Paul just going, damn you, that kind of curse? In chapter 3, it also talks about God's curse and that we are redeemed from God's curse. Paul is saying if we don't have the gospel right, then we are accursed. Paul is calling down a curse against those who direct people away from the real curse remover, from the one that would take away the curse. If you direct people away, may your life be accursed. That's why it matters what this service feels like because in this service, truths need to be at home. Truths need to be proclaimed. And there were two great truths that were uncovered or recovered by the Reformation. That is, number one, there is absolute and unique supreme authority in Scripture. There's absolute and unique supreme authority in Scripture. This holy word, it is authoritative over the Pope, over councils, over rituals, over traditions, over every single person in the universe. Scripture has supreme authority. In fact, this is the debate today. This is the reason why the denominations have an issue, because we're going away from our core principle reason of why we had the Reformation, and we are compromising with the things of this world, and the gospel that is proclaimed now isn't the gospel in here. That's why we're leaving the PCUSA. That's why a lot of people are leaving just mainline denominations in general. That's why there's a fight, and the fight is a very, very hard fight, but the fight needs to be fought. Number one, absolute, unique, supreme authority in Scripture. Number two, that the gospel is precious, and the precious gospel of justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. The precious gospel of justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. This brings us to what many of us may remember as the five solas that came out from the Reformation. This, this is, of course, Latin, sola meaning only. Sola, the five solas are sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. Sola fide, which is faith alone. Sola gratia, which is grace alone. Solus Christus, which is Christ alone. And soli deo gloria, which is to the glory of God alone. These are the five solas. And we're going to take a brief look at these five points. Sola scriptura says that scripture is our ultimate authority and trustworthy 
a trustworthy authority for all faith and practice, for our faith and practice. What, it, what we're not saying is that the Bible is the only place truth is found. That's not what we're saying. There's truth to be found other places. But this is where we, it ends. This is where it ends. This is our filter. Everything needs to be filtered through this. We want to practice. Do you believe in a certain dogma or doctrine? It has to pass through this. This is our lens in how we see the world. Otherwise, we are seeing it through another lens. We are passing things through another filter, and that is not scripture. The Bible gives us everything that we need for the theology that we have and the theology that we must live out Every word of the 66 books of the Bible, we believe is the inspired word of God by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what helps us understand scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Sola Scriptura is saying that there is no authority that goes above what we see in the Bible. There's no revelation that can trump this Bible. And that is why we look to the scripture. This is what we believe as Christians. This is where we see salvation being explained and given to us. There's sola fide, sola gratia, only by faith and uh, by grace alone. And so... We're saved solely through faith in Jesus Christ because of God's grace, not by our merit. It's not by because of what we have done. And this is really hard for us to accept because we always want to do things by merit. And every time we don't get something that we think we deserve, this is when we get angry. Isn't that true? When I get upset, when I feel something is unfair, isn't it because I feel like I've merited this? And so we believe that this salvation cannot be merited. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ by, because of God's grace. You know what we did inherit and what we did merit was from our ancestor Adam, a nature that is enslaved to sin. And because of our nature, we are natural enemies of God and lovers of evil. That is why we need to be made alive. It's called the process of regeneration so that we can have faith and we can live in Christ. So God graciously chooses to give us hearts that can receive Christ, that can accept Christ through faith alone. And this is where we find an express teaching of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 saying, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so no one may boast. And their solus Christus. God has given us the ultimate revelation of himself through Jesus Christ. By sending us Jesus Christ, we have the ultimate revelation of who God is. When people said to Jesus, show us the Father, show us who God is, Jesus responded by saying, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. And knowing Jesus is knowing God. Being transformed by Jesus is being transformed by the knowledge of who God is. There's soli Deo Gloria. That means glory belongs to God alone. God's glory is the central motivation for salvation. 
It is not the improving of the lives of people. That's a wonderful byproduct of salvation. But God is not a means to an end. God is the means and the end. The goal of life is to give glory to God alone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. The Westminster Catechism says, The purpose, the chief purpose of man, of all human life, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. These are the five solas that I briefly went through. Thank you for following along. It was almost like a lecture. I said, oh, man, I didn't bring my notes. But um, try to remember, because this is, this is what the Reformation brought out. But we as human beings, it's hard. It's hard to follow these things. It's hard to even accept certain things. Because some things I read in the Bible don't sit too well with me. If I'm really being honest, some things in the Bible seem a little archaic, a little old, a little bigoted, a little irrelevant. But that makes sense to me the more I think about it. Because I am not perfect. I have to also realize, as time goes on, I see more and more even what I think is perfect that I couldn't achieve might not be perfect. My idea of perfect might not be perfect. So when I come across something perfect, it's natural that I will rub and there will be friction because I myself am not perfect. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot the things that we have learned, the more and more I continue to age, I realize this. Um, it's funny, you know. Uh, in my teens, I just couldn't wait to grow up. Uh, in my 20s, like let's say I was 29, man, I thought I was just so smart for my age that I was so wise. I mean, like pe people would tell me. so. It would be worse because people would say, oh, you're, you're pretty wise for your age. So my head got bigger and bigger and bigger. Soon I couldn't fit through doorways because my head was so big. And then now, 10 years later, I'm thinking, man, my 29-year-old self, so foolish. My 39-year-old self, so wise. <laughs> so wise. But I can only imagine now that I've gone through this by the time I'm 49, I'm going to be like, man, my 49, my 39-year-old self, what a butthead. My 49-year-old self, pretty smart, pretty wise. But I can only imagine as time goes on, my views also change. My idea of perfection also change. My, my ability to reach certain things also change. So my kind of place where I am, my vantage point is not um, infinite. It's not perfect. It's always moving. So if I try to judge everything from my vantage point, then it's going to start moving back and forth. It's going to start hurting people because I'm changing my mind. Am I not? I could be like, one day, this is so beautiful. The other day, from another vantage point, this is so ugly. It's not ugly, but it's never, I'm never going to say that. But I'm saying I, it could happen. 
And I realized even when I was young, I was given a message that wasn't true. And even today, even our very children receive the same message. I did some research. I think it was around after World War II, after the Great Depression, the sexual revolution is all happening. We started to change the message that we gave to our kids. And the message was, you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything if you put your mind to it. You can be anything you want. And that is the message that we have been inundated with ever since we were kids, ever since we were young. We can remember, even in kindergarten, we're given these images, we're reading these books, we're singing these songs. We don't even know what we're singing, but we're actually singing, you can do anything, you can be anything you want. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Otherwise, I will be so mad because I love you and I want you to know that you can do anything you want. That's the message that we hear. There's this uh, song sung by a Norwegian princess that's famous and the lines even go like this and everybody, every kid, child knows this song. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. All the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go. And I'm serious, that is, that's the words of the song that all our kids are singing, that we're singing along to. And we're saying, there's no more right, no wrong. I am free, meaning I am the infinite vanish point. It's here where I get to decide anything I want. And this is what we're growing up with. This is what I've come to believe is my reality. This is my lens and my filter. This is how I see all of what I understand. And what we are saying is, that is wrong. Because we've tried that. We're not happy. We see families continually break apart. We see communities continually deteriorate. The nation isn't getting stronger after World War II. All these things happen, all these inventions happen, all these things are going, but people are less and less content and satisfied and happy. People are angry. It's anger that moves our politics now. You can be angry at what's going on. You can be angry at, at our politicians or angry at certain things, but it's just anger that moves us now. And this anger is even pervading our church polity too. When people are not satisfied with certain programs, we're angry. How can this happen? How can you do this? Because the vantage point is me. It's my kid. It's my parents, but it's me ultimately. And so when it doesn't happen, I get angry. Let the storm rage on. We even, we even quote Bible verses to support this. And it's one of the most misquoted verses that we can hear. It's, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to have it tattooed on my chest. And as I get buff and I work out, I'm going to be like, I can do all things. Bench, bench 405, I can do all things through God. And then that's what I'm going to do. Because I have mistaken this verse to support whatever I want. Because I am now in the center of the universe. You know, the way we interpret sometimes is really difficult. And a lot of times, we need to look at it again. And if I said to you in Korean, this phrase, it would be translated, this man is oily. This man is oily. And if I said that to you, if you, if you heard a Korean phrase, you know, um, this, you heard a Korean phrase and like, oh, Pastor Jean, what does this phrase mean in Korean? I have no idea what Korean is. And I would say to you, oh, the direct translation is this man or that man is oily. You might respond, oh, I actually have a good face wash I can recommend. But you got to look at the context. And if you look at the context, the context might be, look at him. He's always leering at girls. He is so oily. And then if you see that in context, you, you're like, oh, oily doesn't mean oily. It's not face wash he needs. Being a pastor, I actually do see a lot of oily guys here as well. And I have to say, come see me after service. I have a face wash I can recommend. It's called the gospel, you guys, all right? That's what you need. You got to stop being so oily here. But if we take that, take that verse and we say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, let's look at the verses before. And Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of fa facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is talking about contentment. Not that he can conquer the world and bench 405. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about contentment. So when we look at these things, we see that even us calling ourselves Christian, we sometimes put our own filters and our own blinders on how we read the Bible. And this is a very dangerous thing. Even a secular person, not Christian, uh, a psychologist, Erica Reiser, said, as a psychologist, I see books like You Can Be Anything as a mirror of our own anxieties about our children's identities and futures. I suspect that many of us harbor the secret desire that our children's accomplishments will reflect well on our parenting and more selflessly that our children's high achievement will guarantee their well-being. The truth of the matter is this. In the world today, you can be more qualified, more talented than someone else, and that other person may get that position and you not. That's the truth. Not everybody that wants to be a doctor will be a doctor. Not everybody that wants to be an actor will be an actor. Not everybody that wants to be a pastor will be a pastor. 
You cannot be anything that you want to be. There will be failures. The greater concern then is, are you content? Can you still be happy? That's why we need to know what the gospel is. That's why the gospel is so important. Because if we don't know it, then we're basing everything, our entire identity, on what our dreams are and what we think we should have achieved. I believe, and we we can use all the Christianese we want, you guys. We can. I believe God has given me this purpose, you guys. I believe I should be a rock star. I should whip out the electric guitar and jam away. And people may come to me, um, I've heard you sing and play the guitar. You're our best above average. I'm sorry. Like, no, you're crazy. God told me I could be a rock star. It says it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It does. Why do we need the gospel? Because the gospel is what truly delivers us from this hell. Verse 4, it's the gospel that delivers us. It implies that we need saving. We could not do it on our own. Jesus, even though he is the master teacher, is not mentioned as such by Paul. It is because if you believe that what makes you a Christian is following the examples and teaching of Jesus Christ, then you're missing the point. It's impossible to wholly follow all of Christ's teaching. You know, every other religion has a teacher too. You are part of a religious circle when you follow the teacher's teachings and examples. But what is implied here is that no teaching will help because you're already dead. When I was in Kauai, Hawaii, people thought I was uh, a local there because I was 10. And the 10 I get, the more more I look like a Cambodian refugee, as my friends would tell me. And... I would go, even in church, someone in church, uh, we found this uh, Baptist church. My wife and I found the Baptist church, and I, we were just sitting there, and they're like, hey, hello, are you from, where are you from? I said, oh, we're from Jersey. And they said, oh, I thought you were from here because you look like a local. And I was thinking to myself, is this a race thing, or is it because I'm super tan? And I'll just take, chuck it up as a super tan thing. And if you see all the locals there, they're very tan, and very dark, and they have this complexion that never goes away because they're always in the sun. The sun is really, really dark there. Uh, It's strong there. So the first day, we got this convertible. We're so excited. I was so excited. Yes, convertible, top down, baby. And I'm driving. I got a sunburn, and I put the cover back. It's like, never top down again. The sun is dangerous. Never again. And I'm still peeling from the first day sunburn. I'm putting like aloe. People are like, you should put aloe. It's like, I have been. I have been. I made up my own remedy where I go back, and um, I would get, I would wet these small towels and put it in the fridge. And then after I come back, I'll put it on my shoulders. And after it cools down a bit, I'll put the aloe on. And then it, it was quite the experience. But a lot of the people, what they love to do is they love to go into the water. They know exactly where to go. Don't go on the east coast. There's jellyfish. If you want to see something here, go on the south south coast. There's all these things here. If you go to the north coast, there's all these coral reefs. It's beautiful for snorkeling. If you want to go scuba diving, why don't you go to the south? So we decided to go scuba diving. 
And when we went, I realized this is not something I particularly enjoy. Um, they teach you for about an hour on how to scuba. And they, they say the same things over and over again. What's rule number one? It's like I heard it the sixth time you said it, but rule number one is breathe, like duh. But like that's what they teach you. I'm not kidding. You can ask my wife. That's what they teach you, like breathe. And then so you have this, uh, this tube in your mouth when you're scuba diving, and you're just busy breathing because that's what they kind of just pummel you with, make sure you breathe. And it did help. I had to breathe. But I kept on breathing through my mouth which I'm not used to. So I didn't like it at all. I wanted to breathe through my nose because I'm a normal human being. I, I, don't, I don't like breathing through the mouth. So I wanted to, but every time I, like in the beginning, um, that just the natural reaction would be to breathe through the nose and I get all the seawater up my nose. It's like, ah! And then I have to expel it from my mouth and lungs. And then it would just be 45 minutes or an hour under the water and we got to see all these things, but I was just busy breathing. So my wife was enjoying like the sea turtle. Oh, there's a sea turtle. Oh, there's a bluefish tuna. Uh, look at all these things. I'm just like, <gasps> I was just busy breathing. I was like, oh, is everybody okay? Okay. Is there a shark? There might be a shark here. I seriously thought like that and I didn't particularly enjoy it. But let's say, let's say I jump into the water and I go down to the depths we went down. We went down about 40, 50 feet. And so I jump down, I don't have anything. I just jump down and I'm drowning. And as I'm drowning, the scuba instructor comes to me and says, you have to learn to breathe. I'll, I'll be like drowning, but I wanna kill him too, right? I'm like, what do you mean? I need a tank, I need to, I, you can't just teach me what to do. You gotta give me things for me to live. But that's what a religious teacher is like. If we realize the danger we are in, that the fact that every single filter, every single blind or lens that we're looking through is false and it can be deceiving, it's not trustworthy, then I'm in grave danger. And no matter what teaching I'm given, it won't help. In fact, what is implied here is that no teaching will help because not only are you dying, that's not the point. The point is you're already dead. And the Bible says we are already dead in our transgressions. If we're already dead, what's the point of coming to say, oh, this is how you breathe. You got to breathe through your mouth <gasps> oh, like that. What's the point? In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, you were dead in your sins. So what did Jesus do? In verse 4, it says, he rescued us. He gave himself for us for our sins. His sacrifice was substitutionary. His life for ours. His life for ours. And what did the father do? The father accepted that sacrifice and raised him from the dead, verse one. And now there is grace and peace that is given to you directly, not from anything in this world. This world is dead. Anything in this world, but it's given to you directly from the father. It was because of grace, not because we merited any of it, but like it says in verse four, it was according to the will of the father. That is why in the true gospel, we are brought lower than we could have ever imagined. All the glory belongs to God. All the glory be to God 
forever and ever for this amazing gospel. At the same time, we are lifted up higher than we could have ever imagined too because it's God who receives the glory and lifts us up by his grace and his peace. There's a story of a king and this king was a righteous and good king. He knew what was right and what was wrong. But something was happening in his city. There was a famine. There was a drought. And people had more or less than what they could even afford to eat or live or clothe themselves for. So crime started to go up. And the king finally said, I am going to put out a law, and that is, if you are caught stealing, if you are caught doing something bad, there will be a punishment. There will be a punishment, you will be lashed 40 times. And this wasn't any kind of lashing. It wasn't like a snapping of the towel. It was actual whipping. And whipping that will break the skin, that will put you in pain, that will sometimes even disable you, might kill you. Back 2,000 years ago, 40 was so much that they said 40 lashes is the same as giving someone death because no one could survive that. So they would go up to 39. And then the officers caught somebody. This person was stealing and they brought them in. And the king who sat as judge who knew what was right and wrong, asked to bring this person in into the courts. And when they, were, they brought her into the courts, they found out that was the king's mother. The mother was so hungry that she had been caught stealing. And people started to murmur, this is the king's own mother. I wonder what he's going to do. Is he still going to keep to the rule, keep to the law that he did? And the king said, let's hear the case. And they heard the case. And after that, he said, this is my judgment. 40 lashes. And everybody was shocked. He's not really going to go through with it, is it? So they brought the mother into the uh, palace courts. And there was a pole there. They hung her on the pole. They tied her to the pole. And he said, bring uh, the executioner or the punisher out. And he came out. And right before he was about to start the punishment, the king said, stop. And he took off his robe and he walked down into the courts and then he put his big, strong arms around his mother and he said, okay, you can start. And he received all the lashes. This is the good news that we have received. We deserved punishment. We deserve to die, and we were actually dead. But Jesus is the one that took the punishment for us. He gave us his life, and through his life, we now have life. Through his life, we now have life. The good news that we have received is the gospel, and this is what we cannot compromise on. 
We could not have merited it. We did not deserve it, but we were given it for the glory of God because of his great love for us. And now, because of Jesus Christ, we have peace and grace directly from the Father that we receive here, now, today. Let's pray.